What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flynn. And I'm Corey Janabagi. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer Up. Hey guys, just want to jump in real quick here before we start the episode. Uh, I'm sure that everyone has heard of COVID-19, the coronavirus. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we brought the subject to hand because you're going to hear about it from everyone else. We just want to take this time to look at it from like a magic player's perspective as well as someone who enjoys drinking with friends. Yeah, obviously we are kind of surrounded by other people many of the times when we're playing magic. Uh and here on the show, sometimes we share beers with, uh, you know, the same glass when we shouldn't. So we're here to just kind of reinforce the idea of obviously trying to limit your contact physically, you know, washing your hands, not sharing glasses, each getting your own glass and, you know, keeping your hands off of everybody's things. Uh, it This is a really serious uh, outbreak that's happening. It's literally a pandemic at this point in time. Yeah, so. it's and it's worldwide, and so we want to make sure that everybody's having fun, but also being safe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do encourage people to you know try beers, to share beers, but now isn't the best time to be doing so from the same glass. Like you're more than welcome to crack a bottle and pour another glass out for someone else. Like it's okay to share. You can wash extra glasses. You can't recover from yeah. illness so easily. And obviously, we have heard from Watsi and MTG Arena as well about some of the upcoming events being canceled. So we've got events in Houston that are being canceled, moved to Minneapolis uh, just at a later time. And then we've got events in Copenhagen that's getting canceled, moved to, I guess not canceled, just moved to uh, Prague. And again, at a later time. Yeah. And then the one in Charlotte, again, at a later time, about a month later, uh, in Seattle, and then I think the one in Japan is also getting impacted. I don't know how that one's resolved just yet. Um, and also, everyone's pre-release is getting impacted as, as well. Yeah, here in the United States, it's going to be a little different than it is around the world. There are some areas that are heavily affected, and some of the pre-releases just won't be held at all. But yeah. here in the States, it's a little more lenient as of right now. Yeah, Watsi put out an announcement that, uh, was it, WPN, Wizards Play Network Stores, Yeah, uh, you still can go buy pre-release pass. You can still go buy the pre-release packs, the kits, uh, as well as the commander product and take them home. And they're letting people set up kind of at-home pre-releases. So just like, you know, you and your friends get together and play. And I think that that's a good idea and a bad idea. But like anytime you have that many people coming in to interact with the customer's, you know, service member of any sort, yeah. then like you're exposing them to risk and then everyone else to it. And like, yeah, it would be they're great. They're not going to not sell their product, but they're trying to make it a little less likely. <laughs> and also pre-release is hype, you yeah. know? So I think it's dope that they're allowing for that sort of thing to happen. And if everyone was planning on going to pre-release anyways, they're not losing out by making the pre-release kits. Well, and the other thing I read is that the WPN stores aren't going to be affected by the numbers. Like I know that they have to reach some sort of margin to keep their WPN status. Yeah. And Watsi has said they're going to basically waive those at this point because they know that it's obviously not the store's fault at right. this point. Yeah, and they really should encourage stores that have low numbers almost just because yeah. it means that, you know, you're not getting people in a room together. And it's like, I think the... It means they're being safe. Yeah, I think the state of Utah at this point in time uh, has banned any gathering larger than 100 people. 100, yeah. And so, like, that's a pretty big impact, especially for Utah, who plays it. I feel like pretty fast and loose a lot of the time when it comes to stuff like this. And if they're making an impact at that level, then it, 
it says where this is at. You know, when the NBA and, you know, like teams like Real Salt Lake start to vote for it, for the MLS to postpone their season, that it's starting to impact, you know, on a wider scale. And I think that people are playing it cautious. And I think that a lot of people are getting frustrated by that, but I think it's still the correct move. So obviously we want you guys to be safe. Drink safe, drink smart. Drink safe, smart, practice good hygiene and, you know, try and band together in your small numbers instead of going out to these big old events just for a little while until this starts to uh, blow over. But anyway, guys, I know that you're probably just about as tired as I am about hearing about COVID-19. So let's get into this episode. Welcome back, guys. We're back for another episode in our Commander series, and this time we're diving deep into Commander 15, which is actually a special one for us because this is kind of where we got started playing Commander and actually took Magic seriously. Yeah, this is where our Commander journey started and where I think just our interest in Magic really started to pick up because like before we played and it was fun, but it was all just like janky shit, and this is the first time where we sat down with a pre-constructed deck and kind of dissected what it was and actually why played magic the yeah gathering. cared about what cards we actually put yeah. in decks. yeah exactly just like oh this is cool yeah understanding that it's not just a, a random deck that it was a deck that we were going to have for an extended period of time and so each upgrade we made for it mattered yeah so of course we want to just make sure that you guys are checking us out on facebook twitter instagram uh youtube we are trying to move things into the youtube realm getting video and stuff set up uh, and to that effect, we set out a survey to actually figure out what you guys want from us. Uh, so we do ask that you do fill it out, and we have noticed a, an immediate impact as far as how we're trying to set things up here. Uh, and with that, we are kind of changing how we're doing the beer reviews. Yeah, so we're going to try this out. We're going to do. We're going to introduce our beers, and then we're going to continue this episode, and then we'll give you a full review towards the middle to end of this episode. Uh, we want to dive right into the magic. We know everybody's itching, itching to get into them cards. So, oh yeah, we got some good stuff. Uh, so and today I'm stuff. drinking the Epic Brewing Company's coffee stout called Son of a Baptist. It's a coffee stout made with cacao nibs and uh, looks great. Looks great. Stoked. Smells great. Yep, sitting at 8.0% ABV and an unlisted amount of IBU. So we'll uh, we'll take a guess. Probably 60. Somewhere around there, probably. So I'm drinking the Two Evil Geyser Gose, which is an ale brewed with Icelandic moss, herbs, kelp, and sea salt. And this is actually a crossover brewing between Two Roads and Evil Twin Brewing. Indeed. So I'm looking forward to this. It's and it's Two Evil as in T-W-O evil, yeah. not T-O-O. Yeah. So it's a 5.5% ABV, and then I couldn't find any IBUs, but since it's Gose, it's probably on the lower side. And last, but certainly not least, we've got Boulevard Brewing Company with their whiskey barrel stout. So this is another barrel-aged stout. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Whoa. I do enjoy me some of that. Uh, 11.8% ABV, Jeez. 32 IBUs. It's, it's a small, small glass. Like, it's all right. He's dense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he thick. <laughs> uh, and with that, you know, we'll go through all of, like, our normal tasting notes towards the middle of the episode. And like we do every episode, we want to make sure that you are drinking responsibly if you are drinking with us, uh, especially with... A thick boy, like an eleven point two percent. We're pretty excited about these beers, but there's one special edition I've got to mention. So this is kind of like a significant milestone for us as Magic players, as well as just friends. So having something like this was kind of special to talk about, and so I brought on a very special Scotch as well. And so that's part of the Game of Thrones limited edition series uh, from Diago. 
Diageo, I don't know, whatever the fuck their name is. Their distributor <laughs> who came up with uh, a very clever marketing scheme to get a bunch of really good scotches into a series for Game of Thrones. And so this one specifically is the House Targaryen Fire and Blood. So it's a Cardew Gold Reserve single malt scotch whiskey. This is one that we, we I have not opened yet. So this is like the christening of this uh, scotch. So kind of excited to, to dive into it and see how it is and see what you guys' opinions are on it. Yeah, watch the video. It's really cool. The um, case that it comes in is pretty dope. Yeah, it's a quite the masterpiece of what yeah. they've done with them. So let's get into it. We've got the enemy color pairs. Uh, we've got the white, black, Orzhov, blue, red, is it black, green, Golgari, white, red, Boros, and blue, green, Simic. I guess I should start it off with uh, yeah, the Orzhov. You should. So the Orzhov uh, was all about enchantments and had this kind of like odd sub theme of life gain and I kind of played into the uh, like black themed, uh, like using your life as a resource for like card draw and stuff like that. Uh, Heavy enchantment theme, the commander, which we'll talk about here in a second, uh, played off of you playing enchantments, and that's how you got experience counters. And experience counters were a wild ride that we got into. Yeah, it sort of leaned into the just the Orzhov enchantments and then um, black, like using life, and then the white's like token kind of theme. Yeah, definitely we'll see that with the, the commander. Yeah. So the next one was uh, basically just, is it spells and... Yes, it is spells. Yeah, big spells, little spells, just spells. Yeah, uh, and you'll see when we actually read Mizzix, the reason why Corey says big spells and little spells, because your set of spells scales with the game based on what you're playing, so you do need a like a, a full full catalog of spells. Yeah, you need basically little spells to keep racking up your counters and then just casting big spells for cheap as hell. Yeah, so instant sorceries, and like you would with a deck like this, secondary theme of card draw and burn. Yeah. So the next one we have is Golgari, and it was just a grave recursion deck with a secondary theme of sacrifice and plus one, plus one counters, as you'd expect in Golgari shenanigans. And then we've got the Boros White, Red, Giants, and Angels with a secondary theme of big creatures. So it's just the freaking romp and stomp, kind of almost like a, to me looking at it, it almost seemed like it had like a little bit of the Voltron kind of aspect to it where you want to like really load up your hero, you know what I mean? But it's just big, stompy yeah. assholes. And last, but certainly not least, was the Simic. Heavy, heavy, plus one, plus one counters. Uh, an odd kind of secondary theme that was sort of tribal. There was like some, a little bit of elves and snakes. and Yeah, it, it was a kind of an unfocused deck, but because the th- main theme was plus one, plus one counters, it kind of didn't, didn't matter. Well, and you the fact that it's generalize Simic already. It. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. I guess that's a good point to get into... The cycles. Our first cycle. Our first cycle is just the commander. <laughs> the commander cycle. <laughs> All right. So like we said, we've got my boy. we got Daxos the Returned. So one, white, black, legendary creature, zombie, soldier. So if you're familiar with the Theros story, which we kind of covered when Theros Beyond Death came out, the Returned are the masked zombies that come from the underworld. And so Daxos is one of those. And he is a 2-2 with whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you get an experience counter. Great. Not the, the most exciting, but once Dax was out, you actually see where the, you know, the synergy starts to come in immediately. Uh, for one white black, put a white and black spirit enchantment creature token onto the battlefield. It has this creature's power and toughness are 
each equal to the number of experience counters you have. So when playing this deck, I always tell people the same thing. Your first experience counter is the only one that matters. I do believe that because making tokens is significantly easier than playing that first spell after having to cast access. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, it's kind of an underwhelming ability at first, so once you start racking up those experience counters, paying three mana for like a 9-9 nine, nine or a 10-10, ten, ten, it gets seriously out of control. It's kind of heavy on the mana sink Oh, I mean, in, yeah, in the sort of wrong colors, but if you support it, it could be really good. Yeah. But and, it is like enchantment like heavy like you can't i don't think you can build this deck without being enchantment themed yeah you probably have to have like realistically 20 percent of your deck as enchantments because you just have to get the first one off but you also have to get the first one off yeah luckily enchantments are really good all right this next one is our is it spell slinger type commander it's mizix of the is magnus two blue and a red for a two two legendary creature goblin wizard Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost greater than the number of experience counters you have, you get an experience counter. Dope. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast for each experience counter you have. So like Corey was saying before, you want to get one CMC instance, two CMC instance, three CMC instance, and then as you start casting these bigger instants, they start costing less because of your experience counters. I think a lot of people build this deck with extra turn spells, and so once you really get going, you can just sort of chain them all together and cast extra turn spells for one or two mana and just keep going and then just storm everybody out and do some crazy stuff with this guy. Yeah, Mizzix, she's insane. Yeah. Like, realistically speaking, like... Yeah, right off the bat, uh, a four mana 2-2 two, two doesn't feel so good, but the fact that she comes in and then she just starts ramping you in is it colors, it just gets out of control. Yeah, when you start to cast, you know, three mana spells for basically just the one color pip, then yeah. four, then five. like, And the fact that you can sequence them to the point where you're only paying one for each step up, like you pay one and then you pay one for the two CMC, then you pay one for the three CMC. Yeah. Like, that works that way. It's the way you want it to work, and it's Well, and like scary. Corey was saying, once you get up into those higher echelon cards that are really expensive, even having the cost of those means you can take that spell that should take your entire turn and turn that into just the first half of your turn, like an extra turn spell or an omniscience or some crazy shit like that. All of a sudden, you're, you're ready to go. I think one crazy thing about this is that it affects X spells. Yeah. Which so if is you have cool. 10 experience counters, you can just cast X where X equals 10 and save 10 mana. And you're just like, oh, I'm just going to fireball yeah, for a million or something or whatever you need. Yeah. Or whatever mana you have plus whatever experience counters you have. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous when you look at it in that. Yeah. Aspect. And then usually, whenever you cast an X spell, you're always going to get an experience counter because it's always going to be. Most of the time, yeah. one more than whatever you cast last. And so that is kind of like the other deck theme that you see. Yeah. That's just X spells. Yeah, it's always it's, plus one. It's it's pretty nuts. Yeah. Music's good shit. Seriously. Also good shit. Marin of Clan Nailed So this is my girl. She's two, a black and a green for a three, four legendary creature human shaman. Whenever you or whenever another creature you control dies, you get an experience counter. At the beginning of your end step, choose target creature card in your graveyard. If that card's converted mana cost is less than or equal to the number of experience cards you have, return it to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it in your hand. Uh, free regrowth or reanimate. Yeah, so for a while, this was the commander for recursion 
and just graveyard shenanigans until Muldrotha came out. And then people were like, oh, Muldrotha is just, uh, you can have Marin in it and add yeah. blue. The thing is, is that Marin is so, so much easier to abuse. And the yeah. fact that you just get it's just the effect. Free. Yeah. You just get it at your end step as long as Marin's on the battlefield. Yeah, you can just, if you play Marin and then sacrifice a bunch of things already and then have something in your graveyard, then at the end of your turn, you can automatically bring that out. You don't need to pay its mana cost. You don't need to cheat anything. You just get it. Yep. And then at the very worst, you put it in your hand so you can play it on your turn. And if <laughs> I'm way better. not mistaken, Marin is the only one of the cycle where even if you have zero experience counters, you get the effect, right? Because even at zero, like you choose a creature card. Yeah. And then it goes to your hand. Yeah, because... Like it's a free regrowth it, at zero. Yeah, it's less than or equal to the number of experience counters, too. You have. Otherwise, you put it in hand. So you can just put, choose something. If you have, Even if some, nothing died this turn or sacrifice or anything, you just put it in your hand. Which is just... You just so get extra card draw you the just get, moment you, you just get Yeah, you can basically free. eternal witness something and then get your eternal witness back out after it dies and just keep doing... You can yeah, keep doing these graveyard loops that's why she's spooky yeah it's some strong stuff if you want to talk about something that's not very spooky yeah uh, <laughs> i'm talking about a four mana giant soldier it's what everybody wants calamity disciple of Eros. two red white for three three legendary creature giant soldier it's a small giant uh she's got double strike and vigilance makes her you know a bit, bit bigger uh whenever you cast a creature spell with converted mana cost five or greater you get an experience counter Yeesh. Yikes. So, just like how we said with Marin, you can just play Marin, sacrifice 10 things, get a 10 drop out of your graveyard. The chances of you casting 10 5 drops after Calumny comes out is practically zero. Oh, you mean, you know, red and white? Just Especially doesn't... <laughs> in red and white. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to finish. Uh, but she also has Calumny, Disciple of Rose, gets plus one, plus one for each experience counter you have. And this is where that kind of like one punch Voltron yeah, idea she, comes in. She does get big and scary. But. And I mean, she doesn't. Let's be real. That's the thing. I think the idea is you you ramp up one turns one through three, ideally. Player turn four, and then turn five, six, seven, blah blah blah. You cast one creature spell each turn, or each one creature spell a turn, because it's not just spells with mana cost five or greater. It's specifically creatures, which limits her even more than she already is. And that's just so hard for a Boros deck. Like if it was- Well, we're using angels and giants. Oh man, if they would have made this a three color and at least given it green, it'd be better. But I just, I've never played this deck, but I can already tell you- I have. I don't think I want to. Yeah, I don't know. I think if they, if they ramped you into those- big creature spells maybe it would have been yeah. better like sort of how Mizzix does right yeah but exactly. it just it doesn't get you anything it just it gets you a plus one plus one counter. I was gonna say the upside on is one not creature. that good and the hurdles to jumper I think this one's exponentially worse than the other yeah thing. and I think oh, yeah. this is the the only or the deck where the sub commanders are way better than the oh, actual yeah. than this actual commander which sucks for experience counters because they're dope but we've got one more commander to talk about. We've got Azuri Claw of Progress. Two green and a blue for a 3-3 legendary creature elf warrior. Whenever a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, you get an experience counter. We're already on a much better track. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control where X is the number of experience counters you have. <laughs> it's literally the exact opposite of the last commander and in the best way. 
cares yeah. about little dudes, but makes them infinitely better Way and bigger. puts a lot more counters on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I just make four tokens. Yeah, because it's enter the battlefield, not play. Like, it's it's crazy. In yeah, not cast, better, yeah. not play, just ETBs. Yeah. Doesn't care how you get them, why you got them. And it's a Zuri, which is super dope to yeah. be back. <laughs> Zuri, like go crazy. And, yeah. All right, so obviously we've been shitting on <laughs> some stuff a little bit harder. <laughs> we've already uh, made some opinions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's just take a quick look at the other legendary creatures that you could have for the decks. So one of these was a brand new creature that has been printed before for these commander decks or for anywhere. And then the next creature was just a reprint that fit these sub-themes in these colors. All right. So again, starting with the black, white, the Orzhov, we've got Karlov of the Ghost Cancel. Just white, black, nice and simple for 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you gain life, put two plus one, plus one counters on Karlov of the Ghost Cancel. For white, black, remove six plus one, plus one counters from Karlov of the Ghost Cancel. Exile target creature. That's a pretty steep cost, but if you're able to abuse life gain effects, it's actually not that bad. Yeah, I had this deck for a hot minute, and then I took it apart because it was insane. But Uncle Carl is a beast <laughs> because you can just gain life off of anything and everything that everybody does. You basically play the Soul Sisters and just yeah. whenever anybody plays a spell on their turn, you try and gain life you extort a bunch and so you're always putting plus one plus one counters you can voltron people out and then just exile all the threats that you need to it's a pretty insane deck so this is you're trying to gain life multiple times in a turn right not gain a lot of life once. yeah because he only cares about each time you gain life right. not the amount that you gain life so you can just gain one life Beautiful. rack up many counters. many times yeah uh the other one we have is tesa envoy of ghost five white black legendary creature human advisor for a four four vigilance protection from creatures which is pretty cool uh, whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, destroy that creature. Put a 1-1 one, one white spirit. Put a 1-1 one, one white and black spirit creature token flying onto the battlefield. Uh, this one is very, very mixed. Like, it's super cool that one, pro creatures, right? Doesn't mean that she can't get in combat with other things. In fact, she wants to, uh, especially when she has vigilance there. But it's kind of weird to purposely allow your opponents to yeah. hit you. Granted, you can just destroy it, but... I don't know, it's the mana cost always is just like this, the big thing that yeah, just like seven mana costs for a creature that doesn't really do anything when it comes in. It just sort of protects you because the creatures still do damage and you'll still die, but they'll just Eventually, lose the creatures. Yeah. She's super cute, but I don't think she's cute she's enough. She's an incredible blocker. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's fantastic. And vigilance, like yeah. attack all day, don't give a fuck. Seven mana for a four four. Ugh. Yeah, it's like a super aggressive. Build. Yeah, she's much much better in the 99 than as an alternate commander. Uh, on the other hand, in the Mizzix decks, we've got Arjun the Shifting Flame. Honestly, pretty fucking dope mm -hmm. card. Four, blue, red, for a 5-5 five, five legendary creature, Sphinx, Wizard, flying. Whenever you cast a spell, put the cards in your hand on the bottom of your library in any order, then draw that many cards. Uh, I think we've talked about it before, maybe once or twice, but drawing cards is one of my favorite things to do, if not my favorite thing to do in Magic. It's I. It's basically play your best card and then wheel. grab some more cards through a wheel to play your next best card and then keep doing that. <laughs> There's some pretty nasty things you can do like that enchantment where whenever you draw a card, people mill cards. And so yeah. you just cast cantrips and stuff and you're just milling everybody out left and right. I think, that's the way that I think is the strongest deck out of it just because 
like you can just build wheels into it. Yeah, because it cast, then you draw, then you wield, then you draw. And yeah, you just, it's wheels on wheels on wheels. Yeah, that's dope. <laughs> the next one we've got is Malak. Is it Paragon? Four blue and a red for a two-four legendary creature, weird wizard. Solid reprint, this one. Yeah, yeah. Play with the top card of your library revealed. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or a sorcery card. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your library, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. It sounds all upside down. Copying spells is dope. <laughs> yeah. Basically having, are dope. basically extra having an extra draw. card yeah. in your hand at all times is pretty dope. Big fan. Yeah. I mean, realistically, you're playing this right and you're playing low CMC cantrip type shit anyway. You're just flying through, yeah, because like, you're able. It's not even like having one stacking extra in the top deck. Yeah, like that. yeah. This is in my storm deck. Uh, I think it is. I might have cut it just to make the the deck that is just the Melic deck, and it's a lot of fun. Like, just every single time you do anything associated with Melic, you're like you feel powerful. Yeah, like you're basically getting value no matter what you do. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, so the next one we have is Mazarek Crawl Death Priest. I have never seen this card. Dude, this card's it? sick. Yeah. It did work the, f- the first few times I had Marin, but oh, I, I sure. cut it because it wasn't exactly what I, good enough. Theme what, I, yeah. what I was doing. But it's three black green for a 2-2 legendary creature insect shaman with flying. And then whenever a player sacrifices another permanent, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. So this slots really well in Corval decks right now. Before those decks, this was the deck that made people sacrifice things and had a lot of sacrifice outlets that weren't necessarily creatures. So there were like a lot of land outlets and things that say tap this sacrifice and do something. And it capitalized on a lot of other people using their fetch lands and stuff like that to just amass a giant board. It's a pretty fun deck. Well, especially when you're already playing lower CMC stuff to trigger those counters for Marin, you're like, take all these little chumps and turn them yeah. into Yeah, yeah, that's boys. the thing. It is mostly token go wide, yeah. kind of yeah. put counters on everything. But it's definitely like, it's a weird Golgari aristocrat kind of thing where you sacrifice yeah, it, things and pumping up things, putting counters on things. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like, it's, it is still like aristocrats, but it's like, it really feels like aristocrats adjacent. Yeah, it's, it's like a weird sub theme yeah. kind of. And the other one we have here, my boy. Oh, yeah. Gerard Golgari Lichlord. So he's black, black, green, green for a 2-2 legendary creature zombie elf. He gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard. And then you can play one, a black, and a green, and sacrifice another creature. Each opponent loses life equal to the sacrifice creature's power. And then sacrifice a swamp and a forest. Return Gerard from your graveyard to your hand. Built-in recursion, good way to end games. He gets big, he's really hard to get rid of, and he can just make everybody dead real fast. The boy slaps. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do, because I have him in my merit deck right now, is you play Emrakul for free, basically, because you cheat her out of the graveyard, swing for 13, then sack everybody her, power to draw for 13, kill everybody, and then whoever got hit by it, takes 26 at the end of the turn. Like, that's a, that's, a, that's and then, a little bit. Yeah, if you you can do the same thing with Lord of Extinction. Like, There's some nasty things you can do with Gerard because it's just three mana for an activated ability. You can literally just sack your entire board. Well, and the fact that he dudes. gets real fat too is it's definitely worth mentioning because yeah. sometimes yeah, like you people, just need a body. Yeah, know? but I feel like people direct 
like the removal of a rod because they oh, yeah. see he's, like the potential for sure. Yeah, and it's just it's a lightning rod for just like which is kind of scary because oh, yeah, it's absolutely he can kill yeah. the whole table easily. Yeah, because you can do that his ability multiple times each turn. Yeah. All right, let's look at the Boros. Uh, it's not great, but they have a really fucking dope command here. Anya, Merciless Angel. Three red, white for a 4-4 legendary creature, Angel. She's got flying, of course, and Anya, Merciless Angel gets plus three, plus three for each opponent whose life total is less than half his or her starting life total. As long as an opponent's life total is less than half his or her starting life total, Anya has Indestructible. So she's a... She's a seven mana, five, five, Indestructible. (laughs) No, five No, she's a five mana, seven, seven. Five mana... Four four that might be a seven seven. I feel late like in the game. Yeah, I feel like most of the time though she's a five mana seven seven instructor because you don't play her f- forever. I mean, because it takes you forever to get to five mana. Hey, <laughs> don't tell them my secrets. Yeah, I think Anya as she's in, certainly better than the other one. She's definitely better than Kalemni, but and that's even with Kalemni having fucking experience counters yeah. attached to it. Yeah, she's she's okay. The fact that she cares about your opponents being halfway dead is really hard. Because usually once they're halfway dead, they're probably going to die soon. And then, yeah, it's weird how that works. And then she'll go back to a a 4 4. Having an instructable is dope. But what is cool though is that she gets plus three, plus three for each opponent, right? So even if, you know, they they die, you know, as long as someone else does, you still have that effect. And the second half is just as long as an opponent's life total. So really, you just have to get one down and then you can kind of use them to your advantage of just like, oh, you know, you're helping me here, so I'm just going to protect you. And then you start to whittle down the rest of the board. And then all of a sudden she's a 10-10, then she's a 13-13, and she just yeah. obliterates someone. But yeah. it is a lot, a lot, a lot of work to get there. Yeah, the, you had to jump through some hoops to make this Boro commander work. An- another problem is that she doesn't do anything. She's, yeah, she only she's cares a about five herself. five-man four, four flying. She doesn't progress the game she right. only cares about what your opponents are at basically yeah and the rest of your deck could do god knows what exactly it won't yeah. matter yeah it's so yeah that one's a tough one yeah yeah she is kind of a voltron commander where you build it so that you're suiting her up and you're trying to get that like you're trying to get someone below 20 yeah. and then you're trying to kill everyone else and then she gets like pumped up and then you basically just try and one shot like sub- sequentially but you have to like go through everyone for it, which is not a great time. So the other one is Gisela Blade of Gold Knight. Hey, you know what Boros really loves? Seven mana five fives. Sorry. Yeah. Seven mana five five angels. Oh it, yeah. That's what matters, right? You're, you're paying for the uh, holy blessing. <laughs> the, the flavor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, Gisela is just dope. Yeah. So flying first strike. If a source would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent and opponent controls. That source deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. Not just your sources, any source. If a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent half that damage, round it up. God damn, see, there's a commander. This is an awesome commander. Seven mana is very steep, but doubling all damage done to everybody else for anything. And their permanence. And having damage to you is dope. Four (laughs) times change there. What I love about If only you could ramp her out. What I love about Gisela, though, is that I don't want to play her as a commander. I want to cheat her out. Yeah. And she's real good when you cheat her out. Yeah, seriously. You know who she would be really good with? Feather. Oh, yeah. Because of the weird, recursive, dumb shit you're doing, just doubling all that. Oh, yeah. Wow. She's she's definitely great in the 99. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, guys, let's move on to our last color pair here. We've got Cassetto Orochi Archmage, one green and a blue for a 2-2 legendary creature, Snake Wizard. For a green and a blue, target creature can't be blocked this turn. If that creature is a snake, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So this is kind of that weird snake sub-theme <laughs> that yeah. we were talking about. Because Cassetto is really good at making things unblockable, which is mostly all you care about. But then he also cares about snakes. <laughs> yeah. He's weird. I mean, it it's, seems kind of cool. It's dope to finally have Cassetto because there were all, all the Kamigawa, like his sons References and daughters and stuff, or yeah. something like that. What's What's weird is like this card does feel sort of underwhelming like the other ones, but it's only three mana. So it's like you pull this out on turn two or three, especially in Simic, and you're just like, well, if it sits there for three or four turns, I don't really care. Yeah. If I can use it when I need it, start great. pumping stuff up. Yeah, but if you got to like wait till turn five, six, seven to do something, it better be. Yeah, and I think ideally that deck would be built around unblockable dudes, just getting a lot of damage through and just like yeah. doing weird Simic stuff. This next Simic gal, one of my faves. Fuck. Yes. So this is Prime Speaker's Zagana. So it's two... Green, green, blue, blue for a 1-1 one, one legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. Six mana, 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Prime Seeker Zagana enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the greatest power among other creatures you control. When Prime Speaker Zagana enters the battlefield, draw cards equal to its power. So she cares about big dudes and drawing a lot of cards. All stuff. awesome Simic sounds stuff. Like, yeah, some some green stuff and, <laughs> and some blue stuff. The fact that it's enters the battlefield not cast it means you can bounce them. Yep, and just keep doing all the stupid blue stuff. Well, and by the time you're casting her for the first time, you're gonna have something out there. Yeah, and then I think more than one. Yeah, one. especially in Azuri where you can put plus one plus one counters on things and make things giant, and then play Prime Speaker and draw seven ten cards easy. And also, like even if you're Insane. playing Prime Speaker as a commander, it's pretty heavy costed. So you actually get shit out, yeah. then play it, and then just like refill your hand, just have a big yeah. creature. And like, honestly, it scales surprisingly well with the yeah. game. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got to say we actually talk about these beers finally. Them beers. So I've been drinking the Son of a Baptist by Epic Brewing, and it is a coffee stout with cacao nibs. Now, on first taste, all I got was. Coffee. Just the nose like, is exactly that. Yeah. It's very, very like... Cold brew? Yeah, like smooth but dark coffee. You know what I mean? There's no like cream kind of texture there. It's not real. I mean, it's sweet, but it's not real sweet, you know? Um, but then as it, you like, as you let it linger, you get that almost like a dark chocolate kind of sitting on your tongue after the fact. You know, it's subtle, but it's it's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I like this son of a Baptist one. I think the coffee is less harsh you know what i mean i disagree but that is also because i have been sipping <laughs> on a different beer yeah you feel right, like the coffee's harsh right away you? you definitely get the coffee notes yeah coffee there's, there's a lot of strong alcohol notes as well yeah which it is eight percent so that's not yeah unreasonable i guess it is very bitter you do definitely get a lot of chocolatey coffee notes like you said and it it does linger you get some of those multi sweet notes but that's pretty solid all right i've got it's a it's a beer we've been holding on to for a while. Uh, I don't know if it's aged terribly well, but it's the Boulevard Brewing Company's Whiskey Barrel Stout. So I love me some barrel-aged stouts. This one, it's all right. You know, I'm, I'm not really going to complain about it, but it's not as it's not everything flavorful and doesn't have like the most interesting characteristics that others have. It's sweet, uh, kind of like on the nose especially, it's pretty sweet. 
kind of like fades into an alcohol taste and it has this almost like, I don't know, there's like a uh, yeasty flavor that I'm not a big fan of. I don't really know what it's from. So right off the bat, the alcohol notes will just punch you in the face from the aroma. But it's actually a lot sweeter than I thought it was going to be. I'm not getting, so it's a whiskey barrel whiskey aged. Barrel. Yep. I'm not getting a lot of whiskey notes from it. It's a really good stout. It says it's only 32 IBUs, which is interesting. Yeah, it's it's really sweet. Not really. Yeah, I'm not getting it. any really bitter notes from any of the malts or anything. Oh, it just it really does. But it's 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 a lot smoother than I thought it was going to be. You get I think a lot of the whiskey notes might come through the alcohol bite, but yeah, that's maybe. kind of not what, what I was into. It? Yeah. It's also it just feels heavy. Yeah. It's it's really smooth, but that just the alcohol just sits with you. Try this again and, and tell me I'm not wrong. It tastes like a little bit of like cherry or like a fruit that's like a dark fruit. Yeah, that's kind of like the you know yeasty note that I was talking about. Like I could, can't really like put a name on it, but it is like a, a sweet, not quite fruity, but like it's not a malt it's, sweetness. It's not yeah. funk, but it's, yeah, it's not. There's something that's to that. Kind of like leathery almost. To be honest with you, it's good, but I think. To me, the alcohol is what makes it hard. Like you can't yeah. really uh, chug that. This is definitely is a harsh boy. Sharing yeah. beer. Oh, I'm, sure. I'm yeah. still working on the very first pour. That we had. Like it's <laughs> yeah, still mine is delicious. <laughs> so this is Ooh. the Two Evil Geyser Goza. It's the it's from Two Roads and Evil Twin Brewing. So it's a collaboration beer. And oh my god! So right away. It says it's an ale brewed with Icelandic moss, herbs, kelp, and sea salt. I don't get any of that. Yeah, there's a lot going I don't, on with that. I don't beer. know what any of that tastes like, really, besides sea salt. So I know kelp tastes like. Yeah, well, I guess salt, sea, exactly. The sea. <laughs> but it's just a very run of the mill in the best way. Goze like it's a very nice, crisp, sessionable, summery sour. It's definitely got that salt component, which Drew you probably hate. Yeah. Or you probably are going to hate, but I'm not. I'm. I don't want to say that it's generic, but it's not doing all these crazy things that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's got like it's, so many things on the label. So solid though, like it is delicious. That is really fucking <laughs> it, good. Yeah, it's just it's not Icelandic moss, herbs, kelp, and sea salt. <laughs> no, like, I mean I don't know is, what any of that means. It is very salty compared yeah. to beers in general. It's not. I don't want to say it is salty because it's not like if you just had that and you tried it, you wouldn't be like, damn, who put salt in this? But like, you know, up next to regular beers that are more sweet. Yeah. You can definitely tell it's, it's got a that, salt, that component. salt component. Yeah. But on it's the nose, refreshing it's like, still, yeah. which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's nice and crisp. Yeah. On the nose, it is kind of like salty, but it's weird to, to think about, but like I can smell how crisp it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a There's a scientific word for that somewhere. We just don't have it in our <laughs> vocabulary yet. I don't hate it. You know, it's run of the mill. It's like, it, it's it, not a good way to describe something, but yeah, it is it's, an accurate. It's middle of the road. I think, I don't know, it's delicious and I love yeah. it. I just don't think this can or description does its service. Ooh, I did not like that second taste. First night, first one, nice, you know, not too overpowering. Our, a really, really good palate cleanser though. Oh yeah, it's it's delicious, especially after coming off your guys' experience. <laughs> Super carbonated. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting kelp. <laughs> From that. <laughs> I'm not getting Icelandic moss, but maybe that's just me. Maybe, yeah, I mean, it could just be, you know, 
just something that they have in there yeah. to say it was in there? Yeah, because I think, I don't know, if, I think on their website they said that it was the two guys that made this beer, they took a journey to Iceland and were just trying crazy stuff. And there's like, yo, this flavor profile would be dope as a beer. Yeah. And so maybe our palates just don't register a lot of those flavors or something. But I, mean, I still I, like it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's delicious. It's still so really it, solid. It's weird because it's in the tall can, but that I would definitely buy a sixer of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and a I think, small can. Sixer. I think it's a very, very approachable goza, oh, yeah. goza, especially Drew, since you said you liked it. And certainly not least, but we are going to call it last here. We've got the Cardew Reserve single malt scotch. Uh, Look I'll be at honest. Them legs. Yeah, on the nose. Smells like it's about 40%. Ooh, which I guess makes sense, but uh, it has like a sweet kind of a. If you know Scotch, the Isla Scotch has this kind of like a little bit sweet, not quite salty, but I think that it is going to pair pretty well with what the Gosa is. As we've said in far previous in the past episodes, um, me and Corey aren't necessarily scotch guys like Drew is here, so for me, it always seems really hard to pick out any of those other flavors other than just fucking barrel, peat, and alcohol. Yeah, it just tastes like really harsh smokiness. <laughs> this is not a smoky scotch. I don't... I like the smokiness. That's like the one thing I like. <laughs> it's smooth, lightly sweet. It's... Honestly, it this is this is gonna piss some people off. It tastes like a really high class Canadian whiskey. So just from the aroma, it's just straight alcohol, but I'm definitely getting a lot of sweet notes. Oh yeah, that's actually really good. Like yeah, you, you said, you it can't doesn't sniff. No, it's it's very <laughs> it's harsh on the nose, but it's very very sweet, and it doesn't have that that smokiness and that that I wouldn't say complexity because it does have a lot of complexity. It's just a different kind of complexity. But it is more like a whiskey complexity. Like it's definitely very strong. But it's, I think it's one of the more approachable scotches that I've had. Like I don't hate that for sure. Uh, I, it tastes it, like caramel. It's very very sweet. toffee. Toffee. Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. really is. Like there's none it's, of that barrel wood flavor that you. Yeah. Get it doesn't have burnt. any of that. Yeah. It's still. <clears throat> it's very potently alcoholic. It's very yeah, strong for sure. <laughs> but it's as, like as you'd expect. <laughs> it's like like toffee and fruity. The, the, like those kind of like sweetnesses yeah. and I'm trying to think like the the right right way to describe it but like it's just for, for like a, a scotch that you know you just open and let sit for a while like it's smooth oh, yeah, it's, it's like it's, creamy almost texture wise like syrupy which yeah, is weird because the alcoholic drinks like that usually feel pretty thin but it almost has like that coating sugary texture to it as well as a, an actual sweetness yeah just right away it was just sweetness and then it just went into just alcohol burn and then as it's just been sitting it's just like a nice kind of as you said getting just a syrup and then you get a lot of toffee notes as well drew like you were saying and it's just like delicious sweetness on the back of your tongue that's the best scotch i've had oh yeah that's that's a that's i the can't most say i've had many scotch yeah i'm not yeah. a scotch i like I, I try everyone that drew brings and i'm like Nope. I, just like he's with Sours. He's like, nope, I ain't about this. Honestly, I would say this is one of the most approachable scotches I've had. Oh, yeah. Just it, for it, yeah. the random populace. All right, guys, before we move on from the burn of this delicious scotch, I wanted to tell you guys that this episode is sponsored by podcorn.com. Now, podcorn.com is a website where podcasters, YouTubers, 
and creators like us can go to get matched with sponsors who specifically want to advertise on a podcasting platform. So for us, we just log into the website, check out the sponsorships tab, and we can go page by page over all of the different available sponsorships and choose exactly the company that we want to be sponsoring our episodes. Obviously, we're pretty choosy guys. We don't want just random companies splattered across our podcast. So we've been very particular about choosing which companies we want to work with. If you yourself are a Twitch streamer or a podcaster or a content creator in any way, go check out this website. It's podcorn.com slash podcasters. Get started today monetizing that beautiful content. All right, let's get back into the cards. Um, we got some... Got a few more... Yeah, some some more cycle stuff that are named after the commander. Uh, the worst of which, Daxos is Torment. Three and a black from Shaman. It's a constellation, which is great, so whenever... Daxos Torment or another enchantment enters the battlefield in your control, it becomes a 5 5 demon creature flying and haste in addition to its other types till end of turn. Wow, is this one fast. underwhelming? Yeah, I think this is a callback to those super bad old cards. Yeah. There was like a, a, a hidden hit right? spider that if you cast a spell, it turns into a creature. Yeah. And there's like another one that's like a monkey that turns into a 3 3 or something like that. Like, it's a throwback to an old school card that does not translate well to the power creep. <laughs> yeah, I love, love, love Constellation. Yeah. Especially in, in this deck where you make a token that is an enchantment that turns on Constellation. Fantastic. But it's weird that a 5-5 demon flying in haste is just not what you want out of this deck. It's cool that it's enchantment. It's a 4-drop, which means it can follow Daxos, and then you can like just kind of chain off. But this is always been a super super underwhelming card yeah it's kind of slow and unwieldy like a 5-5 five, five with haste is dope in theory but you have to jump through some steps yeah i mean to get they're it. pretty it's pretty easy to go through in the deck okay let's talk about a, a good card a banger of a card mizix's mastery so this card is this is a game ender yeah it's a finisher for sure so three in a red sorcery exile card is an instant or sorcery from your graveyard for each card exiled this way Copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Exile Mizix's Mastery. But wait, there's more. You can also cast Force Overload. And when you do that, for each instance of target, you replace it with each. So exile each card. That's an instant or source card from your graveyard. Yada, yada, yada. Effect five red, red, red for that effect. So in the right deck, this basically means. Exile your entire graveyard and cast everything in your entire graveyard for not, eight mana. Not bad. Yeah, it's Yagmoth's Will for instant sorceries. It's Underworld Breach without the escape clause. Like, it's just good. And this is one of those cards that will end the game. <laughs> Next one we got is Scourge of Nel Toth, five black black for a six six. Creature Zombie Dragon with flying. You may cast Scourge of Nel Toth from your graveyard by paying black black. And sacrificing two creatures rather than paying its mana cost. It does have the ability just to get into these loops where you cycle it sacrifice and creatures, sacrifice things, and but it's 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 just too much because it doesn't really do anything. It's just a vanilla yeah. creature, basically. So this next one is Calamity's Captain. It's three white white for a five five giant soldier with vigilance. Pay five white white for monstrosity three. And that just means if this creature isn't monstrous, put three plus one plus one counters on it and becomes monstrous. When Calamity's Captain becomes monstrous, exile all artifacts and enchantments. Dope. This card would be awesome if it didn't fuck you over at the same time. 
all is symmetrical? Yeah. In the one deck that needs Boros some sort of needs advantage. as much help as yeah, but no, let's just let's just fuck Take everybody all, at the same yeah. time. And the last one we have here is Azuri's Predation. One of my top cards in green. It's, it's one of the weirder board wipes. Oh, I love it. Tokens and No one's board ever board. expecting that. Yeah. Five, green, green, green for sorcery. For each creature your opponent's control, put a 4-4 four, four green beast creature token onto the battlefield. Each of those beasts fights a different one of those creatures. Make a bunch of beasts. They fight the things that they you know, were created for. Yeah, my biggest problem with this is that it does not work with Azuri because he cares about two or less power. Right. Every other card cares about stuff. Enchantments, sacrificing things, big spells, CMC, five or greater. This one just makes a bunch of dudes. And like on your next turn or whatever, if they survive, you can overrun everybody. But this, all this does is make a bunch of dudes and board wipes. Yeah. But that's, just, other than that, it's, it's dope. Yeah, Flavors. It's still really good. Yeah, I, I, Sick. I really like it. Uh, I think we can more or less skip through the next couple. Uh, Cycles we have here. So we've got the confluences, which surprise, surprise, blue is the best one. Blue is always the best one. <laughs> uh, just how it happens. It, I noticed that they uh, didn't include a blue one with uh, the commander name cards. They went double black. Uh, maybe blue is too good. <laughs> maybe they figured something out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mr. Confluence, I think it's probably just a household name for. Yeah, I think Mystic Confluence is the only one of these gets played. So there's Righteous Confluence, Mystic Confluence, Wretched Confluence, Fiery Confluence, and Verdant Confluence. Most of them are pretty mediocre to bad, except for Mystic Confluence, which is playable. Yeah. Three blue, blue. Contract spell unless it's controlled, but pays three. Return target creature to its owner's hand or draw a card, and you get to choose three. And you may choose the same mode more than once. That is the the big caveat for these cards because you double up on all these effects. Or triple up. Yeah. Draw three cards or return three creatures or make sure you really fucking counter. <laughs> yeah. Extra counter. This is one of the few kind of spells that I run in, in my blue decks. Yeah. It's it's, it's five it's mana. It is a, like pretty big investment, but it really just like hammers home the, the counter spell or you can guarantee the counter if they're, you know, tapping out plus you get to do other things. Yeah. A countering spell plus drawing two cards. Oh, yeah, I'll pay five mana for that. Yeah, I'm, out. I'm on board. That's eight. Uh, the next one is the Myriad. So, Corey, why don't you read one of them just to give us an example of what Myriad does? So, Myriad is an ability that they printed on uh, a cycle of creatures. And? There's one of each color. And it's whenever this creature attacks for each opponent other than defending player, you may put a token that's a copy of this creature onto the battlefield tapped in attacking that player or a planeswalker he or she controls. Exile the tokens at end of combat. So basically you attack one person, you attack the whole table. Yeah, it's dope. And a lot of them have the effects of when they do combat damage or when they're attacking. Yeah, like the green one's just a big dude trample... The, Banshee of the Dread Choir makes them discard. Yeah, I think the I think the blue one lets you draw cards. The the red and the white ones are the only ones that do nothing. Yeah, the the red red one just has haste, <laughs> which is meh, and then the the white one is, I think just has flying vigilance. So you're probably gonna get the damage in, but it's pretty. Mm. They're they're a lot of fun because you can do some some weird weird stuff with them, especially with like ETB with effects, ETBs and like fighting things and like because yeah. they make. A lot of copies of themselves. So, and then the last of our cycles that we've got here are the signets, which are kind of cool because they were, like we said, enemy color signets. Yeah. So it's a good reprint to have the signets. Yeah. So signets are staples, and just making decks with them is always just a good sign for everybody. Yeah. 
And then the last thing we're going to talk about here is something that Watsy started doing in 2015 that has carried on until this very day. So the Mega Cycle specifically was cards that were printed 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. A new Magus was created based on a powerful sorcery effect. So 2015, we got the red one, Magus of the Wheel. This is the creature version of Wheel of Fortune. For the exact same cost, you get a creature version that you then also have to pay the activated ability and sacrifice to get the effect of the original sorcery. Pretty good. So yeah, we'll talk about that in the upcoming sets. Uh, and the reason why I'm including it now is because it has some pretty decent relevance for why they only printed four of the five that they should have had printed. Let's go real quick, Corey. The cards that you thought were important from the set. So we just have a giant list, no particular order, but one thing to mention is that Thought Vessel... This was the first time they printed it, and they printed it in every deck, which I think is a very, very good idea. And when you see staples like these, I think they should be printed in every deck, kind of like how you see the Arcane Signet in every Brawl deck. Soul Ring. Soul Ring in every deck. Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots. Yeah, just switched. these cards that everybody will play with in every deck because they're artifacts most of the time. I think they just deserve a spot in all of these pre-cons especially. Because they might not be the most powerful cards, but they're definitely some of the most useful cards. So another one we have is Phyrexian Arena. Another banger. Yep. Vandal Blast. Vandal Blast. Uh, probably my favorite artifact destruction card. The Izzet deck had a lot of good ones, and same with the Azuri. They were they were pretty good on reprints overall, but except for except for the Boros deck, which so, had one absolute banger. Ones. Yeah. Urza's Incubator was a great, great card. And they had one good new card, which was Blade of Cells. Which yeah. is just I think that was to give Myriad. also in the Boros deck. So I think those yeah. two cards were the only yeah. good ones. <laughs> exactly. Uh, then again, Sun Titan and Infern Titan. Like, not bad. Yeah. They're also staple-ish, because yeah. they're just really good all the time. Uh, Command Beacon. $20 card. Only printed in the Simic deck. Which is kind of weird to me. Yeah, that this is the first and only time it's been printed. Yeah, I know. Only in so one expensive. deck. Why this deck? Yeah, the Simic deck that of ramps all time, yeah. and draws the most cards. This doesn't need any help. Yeah. Why? Yeah, <laughs> why? That's a weird. Uh, yeah, include. I don't I mean, know. I like the card, but yeah, um, Eldrazi Monument was in the Marin deck, Whew. which is great because it's a very very powerful card. Cares about sacrificing things and just making a lot of. Big dudes. Yeah. A dope reprint uh, was Black Market, which oh, is in yeah. the uh, so Daxos it's deck. Kill on sight. <laughs> yeah. Get yes. rid of that shit. <laughs> Another uh, good thing is the Hideaway Lance. They got reprinted in most of the colors, I think. And they're just, they're not cool. the worst lands. The black they're, one is the worst fun. of them, which is surprising. Yeah. They're surprisingly easy most of the time to get, especially in four player games. Yeah. The white, green, and red are the easiest ones, but. Uh, we got Bane of Progress, uh, which is just a banger. Again, only time it was printed, I believe, was in the Azuri deck. Uh, we had Grasp of Fate, another one that was solid out of another the Daxos deck. Commander staple. Yeah, again, I know, and the fact the that it's in light. the Daxos deck and not in the Boros deck is like... Yeah, that like, makes Watsi, sense. Based it on it makes sense, but they should have just put two copies. I was going to say, Watsi just hates Boros. But it was a red card, or a, a rare. So they only put rares and... <laughs> uh, Blade of Cells, like I said... Urza's Incubator, which is insane in a tribal deck. And I guess, yeah. you know, Giants and Angels, cool. Except you can only pick one tribe, and uh, since it was giants. split, exactly, yeah, it did not help that deck in one bit. Uh, Arachnogenesis, which is another just banger. <laughs> hey, hey, are you like fogs? How about fogs with tokens? The, probably the best fog, besides Spore Frog. 
Yeah, yeah. Fog Frog number one, Rack and Justice number two, and Cross and Grip just just good, solid, about as green staple as you can get because it's one of the most powerful removal spells because it has split second. It stops combos like it's so good in green. Uh, so Corey, you and I can attest to this a bit more than what Gary can just because we're experienced with the decks. How do they perform? How do these decks actually play? So. At this point, Watsi was kind of doing that thing where they sort of had multiple themes splitting up each deck, and we've talked about that a bunch throughout this episode. And so the decks didn't, they weren't as smooth as you want them to be. You could kind of make them work over a long game, and that's kind of how we had to play them yeah. first starting out. The Orzhov deck, just from experience, wanted to be an enchantment deck, but then all of a sudden it's like random ass life gain shit that just never worked for it. It was like creature based life gain, not enchantment based life gain. It was not synergistic. It was a mixed bag of not great. Yeah, is it was really good because it just cares about big spells. It doesn't care about doing anything else. It doesn't care necessarily about big spells. It just cares about instant sorcery and the fact that you can cast low spells that essentially ramps you to play bigger spells, which you can play for cheaper because of the pseudo ramp that yeah, it was, yeah. It was Marin was really solid out of the gate because she just cared about things dying and in four player game things are always Magic. dying yeah um, the Boros deck sucked it was trash it was it was just really rough you as, bought that deck to get Blade expect. of Cells and yeah. it was Incubator you, you bought it happened. to tear it apart the Simic deck was really good just because it's Simic it's just low unblockable stuff make big dudes start swinging and then just ramp out big guys keep your hand full just do nasty simic stuff there's kind of a common saying and it's been relevant since at least 2015 if not way before and that's just that uh, simic doesn't need any help no it really <laughs> it's doesn't. always good yeah. uh, one thing i would say about these decks is that a lot like the 2014 decks being monocolored these were only two color decks and so i think it's a little harder for them to stray away too far yeah you know they, what I mean? they had to stick to the themes in these colors but they still like drifted a little yeah. too far especially in boros i mean i don't know the themes that they chose in boros were just not Bad. synergistic at all like in these Bad. other decks at least the themes synergize somewhat good but, but boros was just bad, bad. all around simic <laughs> good boros bad <laughs> yeah uh you look at the overall power level of the set and there are some like legitimately very impressive cards but overall, there were just some glaring gaps in the decks. Yeah. Like the Boros deck, Boros needed help for a long time. And 2015 was kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of like a, a fuck off moment from Watsi, where it was just like, hey, we're going to print this super cool commander that requires you to do the things that Boros doesn't do. And, and we're not going to give you support to do it. Instead, we're going to give the support that you need. To all a different decks deck. that you're meant to play against. All the so colors that you have that share colors with these other decks, we're going to give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to give all the good red cards to Is It, and then we're going to give all the white cards to the Orzov deck. So I was going to actually pose you guys, we just got Planeswalker Commanders. Do you think we're going to get allied experience counter commanders anytime soon? I don't know about this year because it's probably already been thought out. No. If they were going to do it, it's going to be for Coria. Which could be cool. I mean, I'm I would be down. They are for doing it, five decks now. Yeah. Like yeah. if they were going to do ally colors, it would be the five be decks format would be, the, would be the one to do it. Yeah, I I wish we knew more about Acoria because it's still under. Rent. Yeah, that's exactly my my thing is that the decks are related to Acoria, and so I don't think that experience counters. It just doesn't sound like something that. Do you think we'll ever see that? 
Maybe. I, mean, I think could would you guys want to see that? No. I would be down for it. Why not? <laughs> Why? Because because there's going to be and granted this happens every year, but there's going to be the one that's like the broken, the easy, the like the one that takes virtually no effort to go off. And it's the ones that don't need that help that get it. Right? That's true. Like black green did not need a sacrifice synergy to to go off. But I just think that really what would need to happen is for them to like print these colors again and just fix them. Like do enemy colors again? Yeah. And and give Boro something that fucking interacts with like ramp or something like that. Something that breaks the color pie. Yes, we're way too much. I know. That's exactly the point. (laughs) Not gonna happen. Sit down. (laughs) Like instead of Yeah Mike. (laughs) Yeah, right? Instead of giving the colors that already, you know, do the shit they do well and like, hey, how about I make this easier for you and just kind of you know break it that way. Yeah, I think they're quickly and quietly making white one of the best colors. They're trying. They are definitely trying. Red still sucks ass. Oh yeah, red's terrible. Just printing cards like Teferi's Protection and there's a, a lot more permanent recursion and like crazy board wipes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, ways to do like, you know, ways to sacrifice just, all of your lands yeah, and then get, get them back. Yeah, a lot and more like, value off of white effects. They're definitely helping that and they're printing a lot more card draw and ramp for monocolor decks, but I think Boros as a concept still needs a lot of help. Unfortunately, I think they put themselves into a catch with this set because they can't do another enemy color. I think if they released five more decks that were enemy color that were the same, yeah, but maybe better, people aren't going to dig that. And they definitely cannot put a Boros deck in any combination against anything else because that's fucking yeah, trash. They, they would have to make it somehow the best deck. Yeah, yeah to, I mean, they would literally to have try to like, put compete. a million bangers in it to put it against any other yeah, combos of Yeah, decks. they, would, either, they imagine, would have to make Boros good, which they don't want to do, or print enough reprints to make it so people buy that shit. Yeah. Which also fucks everybody that buys Yeah, it's not good either deck. way. So I think... If they were going to do two colors, I think ally colors would be cool. I think yeah, it, that's fun. the way to do it. But I think that the like quote unquote correct way is to act as if this one doesn't exist and to say, "Hey, experience counters, we're doing it again. We're doing it right." Yeah, because they had Oloro, which was Eminence before Eminence was a thing, and then they made Eminence thing. So I, I think that they'll eventually go back to oh yeah, I think experience because I don't know yeah. when. I think we're definitely going to get allied colors before we get enemy colors again. I think allied colors is the next set. You think so? Ikoria or the next after that? Yeah, I think Ikoria is, but that's just like But you don't think they're going to be countered? Experience counters, no. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That's just like my personal intuition. I hope it's not allied color because I think think wedges are really good pre-cons just because they help people make those decks. And I think four colors are... They're just too crazy for some people, and the man- mechanics they have to do for four colors. As well, they can we'll, as we'll get really into shore them up. Awesome, yeah. And so I think the three color decks you can sort of have a, this crazy balance that a lot of us like. Yeah, I think three colors is like the the good point, but I think that I just think that that's like the next step is to go back to two colors and yeah. to. I mean, it's just with Corey. They're going to print so many commander decks in the next year. Yeah, so. it's it's going to be yeah, it's going to be something. Uh. All right, experience counters. Is it a good thing? Yes or no? I Gary. I thought they were okay. Corey? Scary. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. Uh, is it something that you want them to repeat? Sure. I don't know if I want them to repeat. I'm okay if they do. Let's do the allied colors. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, they, I think they definitely need to mix it up. Yeah. They can't just do the same old synergies. 
Yeah, I don't want them to same synergy. I want them to do. I want them to fix shit, but that's just yeah. Me. I want, either want them to fix fix things or make new interesting things for yeah. color pairings that we haven't seen yet. Let's break the color pie. I uh, <laughs> give red enchantment <laughs> removal. Uh, let's not do that. That's uh, the most broke. You can't break it that much. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's I guess. I guess that's too broke. Yeah, that's too just far. Just like giving white ramp. Oh, crazy. Oh, uh, uh, last question we always ask: Was this a successful product? It got us into magic. I think it's successful. Like the Boros X sucks balls and it did no help for Boros. But it I think, actually turned more people off of Boros because yeah. they would buy it because like it looks sweet. Like all of these other decks are doing the thing that they want to be doing and I can't because I fucking can't even cast my spells. Yeah, but I think this, it was new and interesting enough that a lot of people got into magic because of these. Like a lot of people I know started playing because of these M15 Commander decks. Yeah, this people is where I, so many people like, like when, got into Commander. Yeah, when I first started playing, I was like, you play Commander? And they were like, oh yeah, I just bought this deck. I was like, oh shit, I just bought this deck. Like <laughs> people that had no idea what Commander was, like all of us got in on this point. Yeah. So I think at that point it was successful. The deck building, kind of meh. It was still kind of scattered and not very synergized. The themes were okay. I think the themes kind were- of on point. Yeah, I think the themes were- we're fine. They were, true they were the playing, colors, yeah. They're playing off of recent sets a lot, yeah, which is all right. But they definitely they should have stretched the wheelhouse a little bit, and they yeah. did not. Yeah, I think they're. I think they were thumbs up. They were good. They were the best. I'll give them like a thumb at two o'clock. <laughs> a little, a little floppy thumb. All right, guys. So obviously we approved of this set to some degree, since the majority of our play group was buying decks from this set. Uh, I personally never did buy any of these decks. I think technically I got into Commander as a format the year after when you guys had already kind of been established and I was still playing my janky modern <laughs> fake-ass bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but these decks do look cool. I'm obviously a fan of Marin. I really like uh, Daxos is cool. So... Obviously, we're glad that they did what they did, and hopefully they continue to improve. Uh, we are going to cover in next week's episode the 2016 Commander decks, which hype. went on a wild path from Mega these hype. ones. Uh, so expect some good, tasty stuff coming out of that episode. But for now, thank you guys for tuning in the podcast. Please drink responsibly, do not drink and drive, and do not drink underage. As we like to say on this podcast, guys, have fun and go get that experience. Thank you.